In Genesis chapter number 12 this evening, I'd like to read the first eight verses of this chapter before we go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Verse number 1 begins this way, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Abraham And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now I want you to look back at verse number 4. The Bible says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time You've given us. We thank You for Your Word. I pray that You'd bless it and use it in our hearts tonight. pray that You'd help me in the preaching. Lord, I, I'm insufficient. I'm incapable for the preaching of Your Word. I confess myself weak. But Lord, I know that You are sufficient. You'll be my sufficiency. So, Lord, I pray that You'd help us in the preaching in a way that give glory only unto You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we read Genesis chapter number 12, I think it is very easy to view this as the beginning of the narrative and story and life of Abraham. And certainly in some ways it is. We really do not hear much about Abraham before Genesis chapter number 12, although we do learn from our text that God had already been dealing in Abraham's life back in chapter number 11. But in fact, we, we sort of view that for Abraham, this is a new beginning of sorts in his understanding of God and his walking for the Lord. Now, you say, well, preacher, that, that's pretty good. That, that's interesting. But why is that interesting to us tonight? Well, I was struck by verse number four, because again, we, we know the whole story of Abraham. We don't really hear much about him before this point in time. And everything we hear about him is, is from after this point of time. But I want you to notice and catch a little detail in verse number 4. The Bible says, So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot with, went, went with him. Now notice this next phrase, And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now that's astounding to me for this reason. I'm aware that in Bible times individuals did tend to live longer uh, than certainly they do today, although I would point this fact out to you that this is many years after the uh, antediluvian time of living to 900 years. And by all accounts, no matter how we look at it, how we cut it, how we divide it, at this point in Abraham's life, he is most certainly an old man. He has lived the majority of his years on this sojourn on earth. 
He is at a period of time in his life when I think most people would be saying, all right, Abraham, you've worked hard, you've built up a good life, now sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of your time here. But it is at this very time in Abraham's life that a new beginning of sorts is birthed in his walk with God and his understanding of God. And he begins to know God and serve God in a greater way. I want to preach to you tonight on this idea of new beginnings. One of the encouraging things, you know, i tell you something, a calendar can depress you if you're not careful. Somebody say amen to that. I, I have been saying here lately, and I, I believe this is true, that I'm probably at the time in my life when time seems to move at an appropriate pace. I remember being a young child, and time just seemed to move so slow. I mean, every day had 2,400 hours in it. And it seemed like, especially the school year, amen, the school year was at least 19 months long. At least. Now, I mean, you'll never convince me otherwise. I don't care what the adult's calendar said. We were in school at least 19 months straight. And it seemed like time just moved so slow. I hear all the time from older people how that at that stage that they're at in life, it seems like time just flies by. I mean, somebody greased the gears on the on the clock, and it seems like, you know, a, a week is almost like an hour, and a month is like a day, and a year is like a week, and time is just flying by at a breakneck pace. That leads me to believe probably at my age, time's moving about the way that it's supposed to. But even at my age, it seems like the days just fly by. We're already talking about camp. Can you believe that? I mean, we're already talking about camp. It ain't, it ain't even snowed yet. We're already talking about, about camp. It just seems like time moves so fast. A calendar can depress you if you're not careful. But let me tell you something. A calendar can also encourage you because it presents to us this truth, uh, that after every Sunday is a Monday, and after every Monday is a Tuesday, and after every Tuesday is a Wednesday, and Wednesday is Thursday, and Thursday is Friday, and Friday is Saturday, and if you wait long enough, you'll get to start a week all over again. You know, it is encouraging that God, in, in humanity's concept of existence and of time, He gave us calendars. And by the way, calendars are biblical truth. You find calendars being represented all through the Old Testament, all through the early... I mean, listen, God created man and woman, and He did it, in, and all of creation, He did it in six days. Amen? Uh, and the evening and the morning were the first day before he ever did anything. He gave man a calendar. He said the evening and the morning are the are the first day and something that we could look forward to. I'm glad we have a God of forgiveness. Amen. I'm glad we have a God that gives us a calendar and another day and another opportunity. I can't help but think during this time of the year that it ought to be pressing upon our hearts. And we talked a little bit about it in the preaching this morning. What possibilities lay before us. Listen, 2017 can be a year in which we do greater things for God than 2016 was. We've all been given a fresh calendar year. You can write your checks different now. Amen. We've been giving a new beginning, a new opportunity, a fresh and a new to live for the Lord. And so I see what's going on in Abraham's life, and I can't help but think that there's an application to you and me. Now, I want to give you a few thoughts before we get into the preaching, just by way of introduction. And I want you to notice some of the things that I think would have probably hindered Abraham from having a new beginning. But he was able to have a new beginning in spite of these things. And let me say, we've already pointed one of them out. The first thing is, despite his deficiencies, Abraham was able to have a new beginning. Now, again, Abraham's an old man. 
He is at a time in life when people be saying, Abraham, pack it in, park yourself on the couch, life is over, you've lived a good life. I mean, by this time, uh, Abraham is a wealthy man. El- Abraham is, a, is an accomplished man, a man and a cultured man. He is a man that has, uh, that has risen to being a great man in the society that he had dwelled in. Most people be saying, all right, Abraham, you've already done everything you're going to do. Certainly, there's probably people in here that are knocking on the door of 75 or maybe on the other side of it. And you might think to yourself, my, my days of living are done. This is a run-out-the-clock situation. My days of being useful to God. My days of growing in the Lord. I mean, that's for them young pups. That ain't for me. And my time is now to be spent just enjoying life and, and waiting out the days. And my usefulness for the Lord is probably over. Now, I, I will tell you this. There are some way, and there's some things you can do at 25 you can't do at 75, right? But that doesn't mean that God is done with you either. <laughs> The greatest times in Abraham's life began when he was 75 years old. Now, what would happen if Abraham said, well, you know, I'm too old to serve God? Imagine the consequences on humanity, on this world, on society, on on civilization. If Abraham had said, there's no way I can serve God because I just don't have it within me. I'm too tired, too old. There's no way I can do it. Now, you say, preacher, well, that's good for the old folks. What about the young folks? Young people say the exact same thing. They just say it at the other end. They say, well, I'm too young. I'm too young. I can't do anything for God. I'm too, what can I do? I'm just a young person. Nobody listens to me. Nobody pays attention to me. That's how young people think, you know. And, uh, and, I, and I thought that way when I was a young person, too. I thought nobody paid attention and everything. Uh, really, what it was, when I was a young person, I was just upset the whole world didn't revolve around me. Amen. But, but I, you know, you feel like at a young age, nobody's listening. What can I do? Can I remind you? Samuel was just a boy when he heard the voice of God and began to follow God and walk with God. Can I remind you that David was just a young man when he began to listen to the voice of God and was used of God to slay the giant? Can I point you to the King Josiah through whom God gave great awakening to the nation of Israel? On and on we could go at examples of where God has used young people, and not just in spite of their young age, but through and because of their young age, because of the testimony that it could be to the world that was around them. I'd say in spite of our deficiency, and you could go down, get down the road. I mean, I, at least I could stay on this one point and preach on. I'm not going to, I promise. But I could stay on this one point and preach on. But here's what I'm saying. You can serve God even if you've got excuses. Just ignore the excuses and go on and serve God anyway. One thing I've found, the devil is pretty rare to give anything to people other than heartache. But one of the things he'll always give people, and he's never short on them, is excuses. You will always find an excuse to not serve God. If all it takes to stop you is an excuse, then you're never going to do anything for God. Because you'll always have an excuse. The fact is, we have to make up our mind that we're not going to let our circumstances control our life. We're not going to let excuses be sufficient. Because one day when we stand before the Lord, excuses aren't going to be sufficient. Because He knows what we're really able to do. And He knows what He's really able to do. So we need to just go ahead and say, Lord, here's my life. I'll serve you. I'll live for you despite whatever deficiencies I may have. I'd say in spite of his deficiencies, he was able to have a new beginning. I'd say, number two, in spite of his difficulties. Now, you say, wait a minute, preacher. We just faced that. Well, these are difficulties in a little bit different way. You understand what Abraham was being asked to give up? Abraham had such wealth it took 800 servants to tend to his cattle. He had gold. He had treasures. He had grown to be a wealthy, wealthy man in Haran. He had uh, a beautiful wife by the name of Sarai. 
He uh, had anything a man could have asked for or desired for, other than he didn't have any children. We know the story. We know how that God would bless him with Isaac. But despite all that, he had to walk away from that if he was going to have a new beginning. Listen, it's not easy sometimes to make the decisions that God asks us to make. And that's the reason God's promised His help and strength to us if we will make those decisions. It can't have been an easy thing. I mean, listen, uh, after, at, at this point, this is going to be, this man is going to go from being a staked down, grounded, wealthy man with all the comfort and security and stability. Listen, you don't have much to be afraid of when you've got 800 people that will fight and protect you. Amen? He's going to leave all that behind and, and he's going to go out. And of course, we know there's times in, in Abram's life when uh, the Bible describes him as a Syrian, ready to perish, ready to die. He'd go out into the waste howling wilderness. And I understand all of his wealth didn't leave him in one moment, but he was asked to walk away from all of that security and stability and walk out upon nothing but the promises of God. People say, well, preacher, you know, I love to serve God, but man, I got this job I got to worry about. Listen, I'm not, my advice is not go out and quit your job any time that you feel something tickle up your spine at church. Amen? But I am saying this. If God's commanding you to do something, the best thing for you to do is do what God's commanding you to do, whatever it might be. People say, Preacher, I couldn't give that much. What would I do? Well, you'd be took care of by God. That's what you'd do. You think God's going to be a debtor to you or I? You think God in all of His vast wealth is going to let us shake our fist to heaven and say, God, I tithed and wound up broke over it. You think God's going to allow that? If you Listen, if you were forsaken and if you were begging bread and you're righteous, you'd be the first one ever. David gave testimony. He said, I've been young now, I'm old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. God's not going to allow that to happen. I've seen God answer and provide far too many times to believe anybody's lie that God's going to leave them broke down and helpless. God's going to be your helper and give you the strength and the provision that you need. People say, Preacher, I I don't know if I can go out and serve God. What my family think? I don't know what your family will think, but I know this, the greatest thing you can do for your family is serve God in front of them and with them. If there's any fault in, in today's, this generation of parenthood, it's that too often times we try to compartmentalize our life for Christ away. We get used to that compartmentalization. We're taught that's how we cope with life, is by making little slots of times and little places in which everything is packed away in a neat way, and that's how we keep our sanity. Listen, we don't keep our sanity through a planner. We keep our sanity through the Word of God. And if we want to rescue our family, the greatest way to do it is not by trying to compartmentalize all of our time away into little pockets and places and having time to read Susie a book and having time. And I'm not against that. You ought to spend time with your family. But I'm saying this, if you're doing all that but not serving God with them and in front of them, then it's all going to be no avail. They're going to grow up to learn that serving God is just a hobby and nothing more. And it's some people's hobby and it's not other people's hobby. And that's all that they're going to learn. That it is to mold around and fit around whatever schedule of other activities that you have. Preacher, I don't know what would my family think. I don't know, but the greatest thing for them would be to see that happen in your life. Saying despite all the difficulties, Abraham had a new beginning. You know, that brings me to a third thing just by way of introduction. Abraham had a new beginning despite his disobedience. You say, Preacher, what do you mean we just got introduced to Abraham? But read it carefully. Look back at verse number 1. The Bible says... Not that the Lord said unto Abraham. If your Bible says that, it reads wrong. It's not what it, says. it doesn't say the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. It says the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. Now you say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Long before Abram ever obeyed, the God, obeyed God, he had lived in disobedience towards God. So, preacher, I don't know if I believe that. Well, look back in chapter number 11. Look at verse 31. 
Notice what it says. And Terah, that's Abram's father, and Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his son's son and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. They came unto Haran and dwelt there. Say, preacher, what are you driving at? I'm saying this. God had told Abram, Abraham, I have a path for you. It's your path. It's your responsibility to walk. Evidently, what Abraham did is he turned around, went to his daddy and said, Terran, daddy, what do we need to do? And he surrendered his walk to his daddy's walk. I want you to listen carefully. Nobody can obey God in your stead. It's not anybody's responsibility to walk with God, your walk, other than you. Now, I want you to listen. Wives, listen, I understand your husband, head of the home, he's going to be accountable to God, he's to lead the home. But his walk is not a substitute for your walk. By the same token, children, young people, you got parents or grandparents, they love you and they, they watch out for you and they brought you to church tonight. God bless them, that's good. But understand, God has no grandchildren, only children. And your walk with God is your walk with God. Ain't nobody going to walk with God by proxy for you. Ain't nobody else going to step in and say, well, even if they won't walk with God, I'll walk with God. People say, well, preacher, what about Job? He sacrificed for his kids. That's true, and God bless him, and that's wonderful, and his kids wound up dead. Right? Because at the end of the day, their walk with God was their walk with God. Job couldn't overstep that or superimpose his walk upon that. And in the same respect, when God didn't tell Terran to step out, God told Abraham to step out. And Abraham put the decision back on his daddy and said, Daddy, what do we do? He already knew what to do. The voice of God was enough to lead him. And so Terran led Abram's family instead of Abram leading it. And they went out. Why else would they go to, Ur, or to Canaan from Ur of the Chaldees? And that don't make no sense. That's like you just saying, oh, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to move to Wisconsin. All right? And there's nothing wrong with Wisconsin. But if you had a child that said, I believe God wants me to go to Wisconsin, and the parents said, well, you know, I believe we might up and move to Wisconsin, I'd have trouble believing that's a coincidence. Right? I don't think it was an accident. I think that Abram had already been told by the Lord in verse 12. Not that the Lord said, but the Lord had said in, in chapter number 12. And I think he told Terran. Terran said, well, I'll go with you. And that wasn't what God had called him to do. And yet, in spite of all that, we have a God of second chances. And in spite of all that, even though he had been disobedient. And by the way, partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is just... So when are we going to get that? You know, we know that with our kids, but when are we going to get that? Partial obedience is disobedience. And so he had been living in disobedience, but in spite of that, he could make the decision to get his life right and to do what was right. And by the way, evidently it took the death of his father because uh, Terah died there in uh, Haran and never made it to Canaan. But whatever the reason... When the obstacles were gone, when the decision had to be made, Abraham said, listen, I may have disobeyed the Lord, but I'm going to get my life right now. If your 2016 is like my 2016, it was filled with a lot of mistakes. It was filled with sin at times. It was, I, 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 Boy, that makes us uncomfortable, don't it, that word sin? It's filled with sin at times. Deliberate, willful, ungodly sin that I chose to sin and to do wrong is filled with things like that. Yours probably was too, if you'll be honest about it. But that doesn't mean 2017 has to be that way. You say, preacher, I've messed up. We've got a God that takes care of messed up, right? 
Say, preacher, I made mistakes. Well, thank God for Calvary. That's what it's there for, is for people that have sinned and messed up. And just because you have messed up, that don't mean you have to stay messed up. That's one of the great lies, devil, and particularly young people. The devil tells young people, you've messed up, you've made a mistake, now you have to stay messed up. And that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. You don't have to stay messed up because of Calvary, because of the forgiveness of God. You can ask for forgiveness, and He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to forgive us of all our iniquity. Just because you've messed up don't mean you have to stay messed up. You can have a new beginning. I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about sometime down. I'm talking about tonight. You can begin again your walk with God in the appropriate way. Now, I want you to notice four things that I believe that Abraham had a new beginning reflective of or reflected in throughout our text. And I think it ought to encourage us tonight to make our mind up that in 2017, we're going to be right in these four things. Now, notice verse number one again. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Let me say, number one, that in worthiness, we ought to try to have a new beginning. Now, I know there's going to be somebody sitting there thinking, Oh, but preacher, we're never worthy. That's true. I understand that. We are never worthy of the Lord. Amen? Isn't that true? Amen? Isn't that true? We all, uh, we all turned hypocrite all of a sudden, right? We're never going to be worthy. I'm aware of that. But I find this, you know, the Bible talks about it in relation to the Lord's Supper, that we're to partake of the Lord's Supper worthily. So we may never, as far as our morality, our, our righteousness in and of ourselves, I know we're never going to be worthy of God. But that don't mean that we can't live in a way, and you know how the Bible describes it? Walk worthy of the vocation in the book of Ephesians, wherewith ye are called. Listen, I know we're never going to be perfect. Amen? But that don't mean we have to be a bunch of reprobates either. (laughs) I know, I understand on this side of glory, on this side of a glorified body, I know that I'll never eradicate the sin nature. I know I'll battle with the flesh. I know that I am weak. I know, like Paul said, that within me lies no good thing. I know all that. But that don't mean I have to live out of the will of God either. Listen, I I know I'm not going to live in perfection, but that don't mean I have to live in sin either. That don't mean I have to just give up and say my life just is whatever it is and I'm not going to try. I see two things I think that point to this. And here's what I want you to have in mind. Abraham is willing to be used by and of God for God's glory. And that's proven by two things. Let me say number one, he wanted to change his walk in that he wanted to be more separated. You know, the problem with Terah was not necessarily that Terah was going to Canaan. It wasn't necessarily they were headed in the right direction. But it was this, that God had told Abram to get thee out of thy father's house. If Terah was going to go to Canaan, it didn't need to be because Abram needed to go to Canaan. And if Abram was going to go to Canaan, it didn't need to be because Terah was going to Canaan. Abram needed to walk with God himself, and he needed to separate and depart. And, And by the way, we find this that his daddy's religion did not get him far enough, did it? It got him to Haran, but it couldn't get him to Canaan. Can I tell you something? I know we've already moved past this, but I'm going to back up, I'm going to rewind, I'm going to hit this again. Uh, listen, nobody's walk with God will get us where we need to be with God except our walk with God. And you know, you find this. You, it, look, I mean, look at it. How many of you know this is true, that whatever we do in moderation, others will do in excess? I've said it before, listen, if you're Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night Christian, if you're here every time the doors are open, never a revival meeting, then maybe by the grace of God, your kids will be faithful to the house of God. 
But I promise you, now I want you to listen now. If you're, if you're Sunday morning and Sunday night, but you're not here on Wednesday night, your kids won't be here on Sunday night. If you're here on Sunday morning, but you ain't here on Sunday night, you'll be lucky if your kids show up on Sunday morning once a month. And if you only show up on Christmas and Easter, then you mark her down. Your kids will never darken the doorstep of the house of God. What you do in moderation, others will do in excess. And the reason is because your daddy's walk with God can't get you where you need to be. might get you halfway there, but it won't get you all the way there. See, there was nothing wrong with the fact that Terah was going to Canaan, but the problem is this. Abram was still following his daddy instead of following his God. And he had to make his mind up that he was going to separate from that and be separated. And by the way, when we're separated, it's not just separating from something. It's separating unto something. Or uh, let me say this. It's not just separating from something. It's separating unto someone. And that's what Abram had to do. He had to make up... Why did they have to leave Ur of the Chaldees? Because Ur of the Chaldees was a place of paganism and heathenism where they had grown up and were comfortable with the customs. God had to get them in a place that was still pagan, but at least it wasn't their kind of pagan. And He began to deal and to work in Abram's life. But it took Abram, first off, walking away from some things before God could deal in his life. Man, I wonder if there's some things in our life, and they may seem like small things, and we may think they're not a big deal. But God can't even deal with us because we won't walk away from Him. I wonder if there's some things, you know, probably those things didn't seem like a big deal to Abram. I bet once or twice it ran through Abram's mind, why can't God bless me in Ur? Why does He have to get me to Canaan? But the reality is, He was getting him to Canaan for two reasons. One, because that's where He wanted him. Amen. But then, too, because he couldn't hear the voice of God clear enough. Evidently, he couldn't, because when he did hear the voice of God in Ur of the Chaldees, he disobeyed it. And Abram didn't live a perfect life after this, but he began to walk with God. Listen, Abram, we have no record of him building any altars in Ur. He had to get out of Ur before he started building altars. He had to leave some things behind before God could use him. Let me say number two, not only to be separated in his walk, but to be surrendered in his walk. Look what verse number two says. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And verse number one, Abram's told what he has to do. You have to leave your family, leave your country, leave your kin, leave all that behind. But in verse number two, we're told what God will do if Abram would be obedient. But can can I present this to you? God couldn't have used Abram if Abram hadn't been willing to be used. God couldn't have made of him a great nation if he hadn't been obedient to the Lord. This is all predicated on this one simple truth that Abram had to be surrendered to God for God to use him. It's funny, you know, people have for many years, they've talked about preachers and, and particularly independent Baptist pastors. Oh, they're dictators. Oh, they, you know, they just got to run everybody. They got to have their nose and everything. Let me tell you something. My inclination is to know as little about what my members are getting into as I humanly can. Amen. It terrifies me. I don't want to look in your refrigerator. I'm afraid what I might find. Somebody say amen to that. I want to look in your movie shelf. I'm afraid what I might find. You know, here's what I want for your life. I want you to be totally and utterly surrendered to God. If you'll do that, I'll be happy. And you're not doing it for my happiness. But I'm saying as a pastor, I'll feel like a success if you'll be surrendered to God. I'm not asking you to do what I'm telling you to do. I'm just asking you to do what God tells you to do. You say, but preacher, how do I know? Well, you've got a Bible. Check it. Read it. Check up on me. Listen, we ain't one of them churches that, that tries to do away with Bibles, amen, because they don't want people checking up on them or finding out what the Bible says. Listen, one of the most beautiful sounds to my ears is the noise of pages rustling in pews when people are, are opening their Bibles. You've got a Bible. Read it, check it, and follow it. That's all I ask. 
That's all I want. If you'll surrender to God, God will do something with your life. If you don't surrender to God, God won't do anything with your life. Can it be any simpler than that? If you will obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you will not be blessed. Valley of decision. Pinnacle of crisis. You have to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Is it going to be your will or God's will? Is it going to be your way or God's way? If you'll surrender to God, God will do something in your life. It's that simple. We can make up our mind. If your 2016 was like mine, you had some of those Jacob moments where you felt like you was wrestling with God. <laughs> and there were times that God had touched the hollow of my thigh and break me and show me I wasn't in charge of this thing. God helped me in 2017 to do less wrestling with God. Uh, unless it be in prayer, just asking, begging God to bless. But I'm talking about God helped me in 2017 to be more surrendered to the Lord. Whatever 2016 has been, 2017 doesn't have to be that way. But there's nothing saying it won't be that way. It's up to the decisions that we make. I think in our worthiness, in our walk with God, that we need to have a new beginning. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let me pause there and say, this is why I believe our country ought to be pro-Israel. Because that's still in your Bible, and it's still true. And we've seen it, man. We've seen it. You know, it's funny. People talk about, oh, we've, we've, we've advanced technologically so much in the past 60 years. wonder why it is that in the past 60 years we've been blessed so much that we're more prosperous. we got more technology. Oh, you mean since Israel became a nation and we started standing with them? Right? And we stood with Israel before that. I'm aware of that. I know the history. But I'm saying, isn't it, isn't it just unusual the way that since we stood with Israel, God has blessed our nation? I believe the only thing that holds back the hammer blow of God's judgment on this nation is that we stand with Israel. And I believe when we quit standing with Israel, we're going to start seeing our economy collapse. We're going to start seeing mass disease in our country. We're going to start seeing social unrest because there's no reason for God to withhold uh, the wrath that we are so justly deserving of except that He said to Abraham, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse him, curse thee. I believe that's why we ought to be pro-Israel, and that settles it. And I, listen, I don't care. I don't care which side says what about this side or the other. I think America ought to stand with Israel because I believe God stands with Israel. I believe God stands. Even if the UN doesn't stand with Israel, God will stand with Israel. If the whole UN breaks out their bombs and missiles against the UN, God will glide the clouds above that place and guard His elect people. He's already done it, and He will do it. You can't fight against God. Amen? You can't fight against God. But I see something, I believe, maybe a little more local in these verses. And that is this. We need a new beginning in our witness. Now, stop and think about what God is saying about Israel here. Notice, we read verse number 3. Look at verse number 4. The Bible says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. We find Abram here influencing the world around him. Influencing the world around him. And he does it in two ways. Number one, Abram is going to influence the world around him through his presence. God has made a special particular promise to him. And by that promise, through God's miraculous working and favor and providence, wherever Abram is at, he's going to have a direct impact on the people around him. If the people that are around him bless him, they're going to enjoy the blessing of God. If the people around him curse him, they're going to uh, have to deal with the curse of God. 
we might say this, that it's almost like an, uh, an Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament passage when the Lord says this to us as Bible believers, ye are the salt of the earth. <laughs> if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salt is fit for nothing but to be trodden underfoot? We know we've read that passage before. But can I say this, that as believers, we ought to strive and desire in the same way that Abram did to have an effect on our surroundings merely by our presence. It does not say that if Abraham blesses someone, God's going to bless them. It does not say if Abraham curses someone, God's going to curse them. But rather it says if those people bless Abram, God's going to bless them. If those people curse Abram, God's going to curse them. Just by his presence, he made a difference in the lives of the people that are around him. God helped me in 2017. My desire is to have a greater witness and testimony, not only through the things I say, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but just merely through the testimony of God's working in my life. Have you got neighbors that don't even know you're a Christian? You know, you don't have to go through 2017 it being that way. Have you got coworkers or friends or whoever it might be uh, that, that don't, they can't even tell that you're a Christian? You dress the same as the world. You act the same as the world. You talk the same as the world. You don't have to be that way in 2017. You can change your testimony. You can change your behavior. You can be an influence to the people that are around you for the glory of God. I think he made up his mind he was going to be a greater witness through his presence, but I'd say number two, through his proclamation. Notice in verse number four, what does it say? It says, Abraham left and he took Lot with him. We find later on in this passage that he also takes all of the servants that he had gathered in Haran. I don't know about you, and I don't guess Abraham was obligated to tell them, but I would imagine the conversation went this way. God told me to go to Canaan, and I'm going to go to Canaan. And if you want to go, we're leaving at such and such time. He probably looked at the servants and said, whether you like it or not, you're going, and we're leaving at such and such time. He shared the reality of what God had done in his life. And in doing so, he took others with him on the journey to the destination God had for him. You know what we can equate that to today? Saying, you know, God has spoken to my heart and showed me I was a sinner. And I came to know Christ. And if you want to come, this is when I'm leaving. This is how I'm getting there. Amen? I know none of us know when we're leaving this world, but you understand the analogy, this is how we get to where God wants us to be. God has working in, worked in my heart, and He can do the very same thing in your heart and life as well. God helped me in 2017, I hope and pray, to tell more people about Jesus. To tell people what Jesus has done for me. And to tell people what Jesus can do for them. That Canaan, listen, is not an exclusive club. That salvation is not something only to a select group. But any and all can be saved if they'll come to Jesus Christ to tell them what God has done in my life and how He can do it in theirs. I think in His witness, He had a new beginning. I want you to notice the third thing. Uh, in verse number 3, the Bible says, I will bless, or excuse me, verse number 5. says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Look at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim, under the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. I want to say that I believe Abram had a new beginning in his walk. Or we might say this, in his behavior, in his activities. All of a sudden, Abram is doing something that he's never done before. And, I, you know, two thoughts jumped out at me. And I'm not going to dwell long on it. But let me just say that he had a new beginning, number one, in his tithing. 
He said, wait a minute, preacher, that's not scripture. Oh, sure it is. Turn over to Genesis 14 and read about it sometime. After God delivered him from the, uh, from the army and delivered Lot, he paid tithes unto Melchizedek. Isn't that what your Bible says? But beyond that, what I'm saying is this. Abram was willing to take all those riches and put them on the journey that God had called him to be on. There wasn't nothing that he left behind in savings. He put it all at risk. Because that's what God had called him to do. Now, I'm not asking you to pour out your savings in an offering plate. I'm not asking you to be irresponsible with your money. But I'm saying this. If you've robbed God in 2016, and it is robbing God to not pay your tithe. Right? It is robbing God. Oh, I'm aware. You find some people say, well, you know, tithing isn't a New Testament principle. You know that's right. Tithing is not a New Testament principle. You know what is? Grace-filled giving is a New Testament principle. In, in the Old Testament, they'd tithe actually 33rd and a third percent, right? If you study it carefully, because they give 10% to the work, 10% to the workers, then every three years they give another 10% to the maintenance and up to upkeep of the temple. But beyond that, and most people, they go, oh, whenever you say that, because they can't imagine tithing that much. Amen. But, I mean, beyond that, you know what the Bible says in the New Testament? That every man gave is Lord of prosperity. You know what God says? God says, well, you know, that's so silly, that whole 33. Let's just do away with that and let the Holy Ghost tell you what you ought to give. And I just have trouble believing that God's going to call you to a lower walk in grace than what He called men to under the law. Now, listen, I ain't here not to fuss at you about giving. I ain't even really here not to preach at you about tithing. But I am saying this, we can make up our mind that if we've done that, if we've robbed God, or even if we've just limited what God would desire to do with us. I've already said it, but you ain't going to outgive God. And tithing is not about money. God doesn't need money. In God's heaven, the, the street is going, is, or in God's city, the street is going to be paved with gold. The foundation of the city is a precious stone. Each of the twelve gates are made of a single pearl. God doesn't need your money. He wants you. He knows that like most people, if you're going to get somebody's heart, they hide it in their wallet. Amen? That's what it's all about. And what Abram's saying is this, everything I've got, I'm going to put it on the line. I'm going to lay it out there. And I'm going to put it to the work and to the journey that God has called me to. I think uh, in his walk concerning his tithe, but I think also concerning his trust. Now, we already read it in verse number 6, but it says that they passed through Sikkim. Of course, that's Shechem. And uh, under the plain of Moriah, of course, that's, uh, that's um, uh, Moriah. And they come to the place, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, why would God say that? Why would God tell us that? I think God's saying this. Abram was in a place that was dangerous and a place that was uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about you, but there's places where I drive that, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I start locking the door. Amen. I remember a story being told one time. I think my mother told me this story. She said that one time a friend of hers was had pulled up in, in traffic, and, and she was in a rough part of town. And uh, she looked over, and there's a pretty seedy individual that was sitting over there. I mean, they look rough. Man, that's the guy, like he was about to jump out of that car and, and grab her purse and grab her car. And it made her nervous. And she looked over, and, and she just reached over, and she closed that lock. said about that time, that big old rough-looking guy looked over at her, reached over, and Click that lock. <laughs> you know, I, but I, I've been I've been in places that it made me nervous. I've been in places where you're kind of you know checking for your wallet. Now, usually it's a Baptist church. Somebody say amen to that. But I, I've been in those places before. You say, what do you got to do, preacher? Well, you got if God's got you out there, you got to trust God with it. 
And as he was passing through Canaan, you understand, he, he can't be real inconspicuous. I mean, I mean, you understand, he's got like 800 servants. He's got like thousands of cattle. I mean, this is a whole caravan passing through a place he's never been before. It's not his land. He don't belong on it. He has, if somebody said, Abram, what are you doing here? He'd have to say, God told me to come here. And most of them pagans ain't going to believe that. But you know what he did? He trusted God anyway. Walking with God is a matter of trust, and it will take you places that require trust and faith. If you need to feel comfortable all the time in following God, you're not going to follow God. Following God is going to take you to places where it costs you more than you've got, where it, it, there's more going on than you can handle. It's going to take you places where you're having to make decisions, where you don't have a plan B and you don't have a backup. That's why this thing is a thing of faith. You know, and, and I don't, I, I want to be careful how I say this, because I don't think anybody ought to be irresponsible in their life. But trusting God is not irresponsible. And I'm just saying this, it's not until we really get to the end of our rope that we begin to learn that, that God's at the other end of that rope. And we begin to hold on to it. And we begin to trust God and put faith in Him in the way that we're supposed to. Well, listen, as long as it's our land, we're not going to have to trust God. But when we're walking on the Canaanite's land and the Canaanite is in the land, we've got all that exposed out through there and all that vulnerability, then we have to trust God. I believe Abram began to learn what that was. I'm going to give you one final thing and I'm done tonight. Look down to verse number 7. The Bible says this, And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. I think we need in 2017 a new beginning in our worthiness, in our witness, in our walk. But I think we need a new beginning in our worship. Now, don't get nervous. I, I believe in old-timey worship. Amen? But I remember Vance Habner said one time, he said, we don't need something new. We need something so old that it seems new. <laughs> Amen? And I, I think that what we need is a new commitment to worship God and to know Him in a greater way in this coming year. I notice two altars that Abram builds here. I notice that one of them, he builds it and never goes back. But another one becomes his place where he spends time with God. And this is what it spoke to my heart. And I'm going to give you these simple truths and be done. That in 2017, we need some places that we can call a memorial place. In verse number 7, why did he build that altar? He built that altar in verse number 7 because there God appeared unto him. That became a place. The purpose of that altar was not so that he would go back there. The purpose of that altar was so that every time he passed it, he'd remember there. You know, we need some things. We need some memorials in our life, some monuments. We need some moments when God gets a hold of us in a way. We need, and listen, that ain't going to happen if we're not willing for God to speak to us. We need, wouldn't it be good in 2017 to be able to say, hey, in such and such, in February, on the third Sunday, God got a hold of my heart about something I'd been afraid of and He gave me peace. Hey, on, on, on the, the fourth Sunday in March, God got a hold of my heart about my giving, and God led me into greater giving for Him. Hey, on the second Sunday in April, God gripped my heart and gave me holy boldness in witnessing to those that are... Hey, on a Wednesday night in the middle of May, God swept into that place and made Himself present and real to me in a way that I hadn't experienced Him before. I'm just merely saying we need some memorial places in our lives.
And that's not going to happen if we're not where we need to be. What would happen? The Bible does not say, you know, the Bible says the Lord appeared unto him there. I wonder if he hadn't been there, if the Lord would have appeared to him. The Lord appeared to him there. Abram was where God needed him to be for God to deal with him. Here's part of the problem. We want to put all these terms on God working in us. We want to say, Lord, I want you to deal with me. I want you to speak to me, but I want you to do it in such and such a way, at such and such a time, at such and such a place. Can I tell you something? We're not on, we're not in any place to bargain. We need God. We need the voice of God. We need the power of the Spirit of God. We need God to grip us and to show us something real. Because we're not going to really survive this thing. Now, we may run out the clock, but we're not really going to be walking with God the way we need to be if we don't get a hold of God and He don't get a hold of us. And so, you know what? We need to start saying, Lord, I don't care how you speak to me. Just speak to me. Lord, I don't care what you speak to me about. Just speak to me. Lord, I don't care when you do it. I don't care if it's a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, or like me as a 10-year-old boy in my bedroom alone on a Monday evening I got saved and God made Himself real to me. And just say, Lord, I need you. Please speak to me. We need some memorial places in 2017. Can I ask you this? Do you have any in 2016? Can you honestly say, can you remember a service in 2016 when God dealt with you? I'm talking about really dealt with you. I'm not talking about He pressed on your heart a little bit about this or that, but I'm talking about when God broke you. Can you remember a time in your prayer closet in the past year when you really heard from God and God really heard from you? Can you remember a time in 2016 when you climbed in your Bible and couldn't see daylight outside and you just were gripped by the message and truth of God's Word? You say, preacher, I can't. Well, 2017 doesn't have to be that way. You can make up your mind you're going to have some memorial places. You notice what he does. We see a memorial place in verse number 7. The Bible says in verse number 8, and it's a little more descriptive. See, all we really know in verse number 7 is here's the place the Lord spoke to. But in verse number 8, it gives us real clear direction. I mean, it says, uh, you know, Bethel on, the, uh, on one side, Hai on the other side, and here's where it was. There was a specific descriptive place. And the Bible says that there that Abraham built an altar and began to call upon the name of the Lord. I'd say in 2017, we need a memorial place. But we're not going to have a memorial place unless we have a meeting place with the Lord. That first altar wasn't something that he went back to, at least not physically. It was something he went back to in his mind. But that second altar, that was a place he spent time at daily. We find that every time Abram walked away from that altar, he got in trouble. He had but to go down in Egypt, he had to go he had to walk away from that altar. To go down to the Philistines, he had to walk away from that altar. Every time Abram got in trouble, it's because he walked away from that altar. If he had just hung close to that altar, I believe he would have saved a lot of heartache. And when are we going to learn that lesson? When are we going to learn that lesson? That every time we walk away from the altar and I listen, I don't mean it when we pray and we get done praying and go about our day, but I mean those times when we say, Well, I ain't got time to pray. That's walking away from the altar. Well, I ain't got time to read my Bible. That's walking away from the altar. I find in my life, every time I walk away from the altar, I start to get in trouble. Every time I walk away from that meeting place with God, I find myself in a mess and in trouble. You want some memorial places? Then make yourself a meeting place. And make your mind up that each and every day you're going to be in that meeting place to meet with God, to read your Bible, to study, to pray, to hear from heaven. Make your mind up that the meeting place in the sense of the house of God. Because after all, the way God deals with Christians today is through the preached Word of God through the local church. Right? God had chosen the foolishness of preaching. Uh, listen, God didn't love and give Himself for a social club. God didn't love and give Himself for a podcast. God didn't love and give Himself for a devotional book. God loved and gave Himself. Christ loved and gave Himself for the local church. 
That's where God meets with people. I'm not saying God can't meet with you outside there, but I'm saying God chooses to meet with you within there. Find a place at that meeting place to get with God, to meet with Him. You see, our worship needs to be radically changed. Not to something new, but like old Vance Havner said, to something so old that it feels new. To a fresh and a new beginning and walk with God. We can have that this year. We don't have to say in 51 weeks, boy, that would have been nice. We can say in 51 weeks, man, that was nice. The way that God dealt with me this past year, with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.